Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download from the studios of WMSC Radio at Montclair State. I'm Merrill Brown, Director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. Exactly one week from Election Day, I'm joined today by Bloomberg Gadfly and Bloomberg View Executive Editor Tim O'Brien, who is one of the world's top experts on the background, sensibility, and business practices of Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. Today, we'll review the campaign with O'Brien, get his take on the campaign's final days, and on how Trump will react to its outcome. Tim is the author of Trump Nation, The Art of Being the Donald, an investigative look at Trump's businesses, his net worth, and his business practices. A decade ago, Trump sued O'Brien for $5 billion over the book, although the case was thrown out of court, and a new edition of O'Brien's book was recently published. Tim has also been an editor and writer for the New York Times, as well as the Wall Street Journal, the Huffington Post, and Talk Magazine. Welcome, Tim. It's good to be here, Merrill. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, let's start off, Tim, uh, in our conversation with a little personal uh, sense from you about how you're doing. You are um, doing a lot of talking and writing about Donald Trump these days. He's been a part of your life for more than a decade now. Um, this must like the, like the ghost of Christmas past. Right? There you go. You can't get away Planking from him. around in the attic and coming down for periodic visits. And here we are, a week from the election day, and despite everything you have said as one of the people warning about a Trump presidency, and others in the media have at least pointing out uh, his business practices, his tax practices, and we have more revelations about that today, his circumstance around his treatment of women, and we could go on with all, all the extraordinary issues that no presidential camp, uh, campaign has ever really faced. How does all this strike you and make you feel about your long, quote-unquote, relationship with Donald Trump? Well, you know, I honestly, uh, nothing that's occurred in the campaign to date um, surprises me about him. There's, there's appalling incidents, obviously. Um, you know, his, his now infamous quote about, you know, grabbing women by their genitals and... Um, the statements he's made about his competitors, both in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, always surprise, I think, with some of their shamelessness. But the Donald Trump, I think, who's campaigned by and large over the last year, is the Donald Trump we've always known. Uh, someone who's a tireless and very effective self-promoter, who has um, earned a number of political advantages in this season, business advantages in his past life by being a, a strong self-promoter, but that's wedded to a, a someone who um, really lacks uh, financial, intellectual, and emotional discipline, um, unable to build political teams, unable to build a ground operation, uh, and consumed really with uh, negative messaging and being the center of attention, which is, I think drove him throughout his business career and, and, and clearly drives him now uh, uh, in this political campaign. Um, so for me, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been, there haven't been revelations about who Donald Trump is. I, I would say 
from where I've felt the revelations have been more in what his candidacy says about the country and and some of the things that his candidacy and 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 the Trump uh, virus, for lack of a better term, has revealed have revealed about um, the state of affairs in the United States. He, you know, he's been a fairly aggressive race baiter, and and race and racial relations obviously were a front burner issue before this campaign. Um, uh, how women are treated and thought of in the United States has, has been put out in front in this campaign. Immigration, our relationship with foreign countries, whether it's Russia or uh, China, uh, have, have, have been put front and center. And I think he's forced voters and the American public to think about, I think, you know, what is the U.S.'s identity in the world and at home? So uh, Trump took the lead in at least one major poll today, and I think it's fair to say that across the polls, his circumstance is improving in the context of the Comey matter and many other things going on around um, WikiLeaks and somewhat extraneous matters, if you will, to what we'd hope would be a policy discussion taking place right now. He might win, right? It's certainly more possible than it was a couple of weeks ago. And I have to ask you, how do you think as a citizen and as a journalist about the prospects for a Trump presidency? Well, I, I don't think he's going to win. I, I don't even think now. I, I, I think this, uh, the foundations of what we're going to see next week got built in, in August. I, I think he's got a very <clears throat> tough road ahead of him in the Electoral College. Um, I think Hillary Clinton has locked in a typical advantage Democratic presidential nominees have on the electoral map. She has the coasts and a good chunk of the most populous Midwestern states. And um, he'd need to win a big blue state like Michigan or um, uh, a Pennsylvania at this point, even if he won Florida and North Carolina, and it's competitive in those states. Even if he won those, he'd still need to take a state like Michigan or Pennsylvania. And I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, it may be a very close popular vote, but I, I, think, I think she's ahead in the Electoral College and will stay there. And I think some of the more interesting questions on November 8th will be what happens in the Senate. Um, if I'm proven wildly wrong, which I could be, um, uh, I think a Trump presidency is something that should give people pause. I think... Uh, the man I knew when I wrote the biography of, of him was someone who had been a survivor. He had overcome uh, some enormous business mistakes and epically bad judgment in uh, his real estate and casino career to the point where he never, since the late 90s, ever really uh, reclaimed the business turf he occupied in the late 1980s. He's become in the wake of that meltdown, someone who's a branding and licensing machine. He licenses his name on golf courses, on other people's buildings, and on products ranging from vodka to mattresses to men's underwear. And that's where he harvests his income. And he was a cultural curiosity, I think an interesting person who had a lot of traction in the American imagination, as we saw through The Apprentice. and that's the guy who came down the escalator in Trump Tower in, in, in July of 2015 and declared his, that he was going to run for president. I think the man that we've seen on 
center stage in this race over the last three months is someone who's, who's quite dangerous and, and a departure from from uh, the Donald Trump of, of the last 69 and a half years of his life. Um, he's He's spoken very willy-nilly about nuclear weapons. He said he wants to rearm Japan. He wants to rearm uh, South Korea. He's been sort of flagrantly ignorant and uh, and a bit of a sock puppet for Russia and, and Vladimir Putin. So I think we'd have to worry in a Trump presidency about how foreign policy would be conducted and um, where he would be on issues like the use of nuclear weapons. Domestically, um, he said uh, very misinformed things about how he would handle the federal debt, how he would um, uh, weigh in on uh, fiscal and monetary policy. Again, as in many areas, he's not a deeply informed student of public policy. You'd have someone entering the White House who would probably be the most deeply conflicted president in modern history. We know that he's used some of this campaign already to promote his business operations. I think he'd have very few qualms about using the Oval Office as a uh, springboard for promoting his businesses as, as robustly as he could. And most of the federal conflict of interest law does not apply to the president. So we'd have a lot of latitude to do that. Um, in terms of the day-to-day -day management of the federal bureaucracy in the White House, which he would oversee, uh, he's never been an effective manager in his business life. Uh, the Trump Organization is not a Fortune 500 enterprise. It's, it's a boutique operation with handsome but relatively modest revenue. And uh, the biggest operation he ever had to oversee were his Atlantic City casinos, and he made a hash out of those. Uh, he's got a very short attention span. Uh, he has never historically surrounded himself with, with top-tier advisors uh, or listened to them when he has. Um, and, and he'd bring those faults with him into the White House as a manager. Let's go through a, a number of topics relatively quickly, uh, Tim, because we have a, this is a 15-minute broadcast. Um, are you surprised by anything we've learned about his tax returns or about his failure to actually disclose them? Um, the tax returns, I've not had uh, no surprise announcements there. I, you know, as you know, I saw the tax returns during my litigation with him. I'm not allowed to speak about what's in those tax returns in any detail. Uh, as I've said in a number of other places, I never expected him to release the tax returns because to do so would undermine a lot of the core things he said about his track record as a businessman and a philanthropist. Um, um, I, you know, I think the media was late to scrutinize his business operations. I think once the, the mainstream media got going on that, um, we learned what his track record really looked like, but it took a long time but, for the media to get there. Let's talk about that, Tim. That's been my principal critique in this whole debate about media performance here, that what we read, what we've been reading from Kurt Eichenwald lately, what we've read from David Johnson, his David's appearances on television, your appearances on television, uh, the work of David Farenthal, we could go on about many important investigative efforts that have been made in this regard. But the thing that perplexes me and frustrates me so is that those efforts really didn't seem to begin in earnest until convention season and not primary season. Do you share that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, 
David Fahrenheit has done, I think, yeoman's reporting, classic reporting. Um, I think there was a lot of the mainstream media who were here much more recently than some of the other some of the other work that you've cited. Uh, I mean, got here sooner than those others and did great work. I, the Washington Post was on his casino operations relatively early. Um, uh, I don't think the Wall Street Journal has been as aggressive as it should have been as a business publication. Uh, uh, but even there, I think they, they've landed some strong stories. Uh, BuzzFeed uh, early on did a lot about going through old tapes of Trump's, including his statements about the Iraq war. But by and large, I, I don't think it's the last two months that the people have begun to focus on him. I think it, it started to happen in January and February of this year. Um, I think, though, last fall, people treated him like a zoo curiosity and uh, in the run-up to the nomination, and, and, and the media shouldn't have. I think the media failed to take him seriously for far too long and and enjoyed the ratings boost, particularly broadcast television, that it got from having him on. And along with that came a real lack of scrutiny in some quarters of the media. Uh, when you say broadcast television, just to clarify, I assume you mean the cable television news networks. And and not just cable, yeah, yeah. The the, the major news networks, you know, the, the, the legacy networks and the new cable networks, yeah. Right. And I think Trump effectively used the platform that those broadcasts gave him uh, to call in instead of appearing in studio, uh, to take questions by and large from a lot of interviewers who weren't deeply informed. Uh, on the other hand, I know from, from having been interviewed by people like Chris Cuomo, Anderson Cooper, um, and others on television, that, that, that there were a, a subset, even within those networks, who worked very hard to get informed about Trump's track record and speak to it. But I don't think that was, by and large, uh, where the media was on this. So we face a very important circumstance, I think, regardless of the outcome of the election next Tuesday, in what its aftermath is going to be. I mean, I saw a headline on the Drudge Report today about gun sales up, and we've had all these you know, sort of threatening quotes that have been uh, reported in places like the New York Times from Trump supporters and uh, not, although not uh, in the same vein, similarly um, uh, uh, uneasy uh, stuff from Democrats about what would happen in a Trump victory. What do you expect Donald Trump to do um, election night once the results are in and you seem to believe there's a high likelihood that he'll lose? Um, I think he will he will never ever admit to having lost. Uh, he will say that uh, he didn't lose, but that the the voting booth and the entire electoral system, the voting booths and the entire electoral system were rigged against him, uh, that the Republican Party didn't support him properly, and if they had, he would have beaten Hillary. So the system conspired against him to create his loss. That's what he'll say instead of saying that. Um, he he ran a campaign whose core message uh, was a flagrant form of bigotry, uh, that he didn't run a campaign uh, that, that built an effective ground operation, that messaged consistently, that he didn't bother to bone up on both domestic and foreign policy issues that would have made him a more credible candidate. He'll never cite any of that. 
because he's someone his whole life who's never taken responsibility for his whole his own mistakes. He was born into privilege. That privilege insulated him from a lot of the mistakes that the rest of us try to learn from in our lives. And 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 on election night, he will simply say it was rigged and it wasn't my fault. And and I think although he said he's not going to do it, I think there is a high likelihood that he's going to to try to start a media operation. And and quickly because we're we're just about out of time. Is there any likelihood he might say to his supporters, uh, we are a great country, we have to move on, the country and the new president need your support? If he says that, Merrill, lunch is on me. Fair enough, Tim. And I look forward to, that would be a great lunch to have, actually. Um, okay. Thank you for joining us today, Tim. I know you're busy as we run up to the election. I uh, look forward to having you on again. Thanks, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. If you would like to have more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmseradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. From the campus of Montclair State, I'm Merrill Brown. Thanks for listening.